0: If you were like me, you think of, when you think of the Apostle Paul, you think of him as a an invincible evangelist, full of confidence, convinced of his mission. This is how I've always viewed him. Bold in the face of enemies, an orator able to more than hold his own against even the most formidable Greek philosophers, and truly they were. Some of them formidable philosophers, as he said himself, writing to the church he started in Philippi, which was incidentally the first Christian church in Europe. Philippians three four, B through six says, "If anyone thinks, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more." And so Paul is not not mincing words here, he has more confidence in the flesh than anybody circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And to the Jews... At the temple, when he was arrested in Jerusalem near the end of his life in Acts 22, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. These statements show a self-confidence and uh, assuredness. That was a hallmark of Paul's ministry wherever he went. But these statements that I just read you come at the end of Paul's life. Okay? They come at the very end of Paul's life after he has preached to thousands in cities across Europe and Asia Minor and Israel standing before the foremost minds of his day At the end of his life, yes, he was self-assured. These writings that I just mentioned were roughly from 62 AD. He lived until 64, 65 AD to the best we know. But this first missionary trip that we're looking at happened some 14 years before. We're looking at 48 AD here. And we will notice that when he and Barnabas go on the... The very first missionary trip of all time. Let's think about this. The Jews did not proselytize. They did not send out missionaries. If you wanted to be a Jew, you came to them. That's what the God-fearers or the proselytes were all about. Them coming to the Jews. The Jews Jews today do not believe in missionaries. missionalizing. It's not a word. But they do not believe in that even today. This is not what they do. So let's think about this. This is the very first that we know of. Missionary outreach. Intentional outreach in the history of the church. Now while Paul was no longer a youth in 48 AD remember the definition of youth went up to the year 40. Uh, He's about 43 here. He was born in 5 AD. And while he is no longer a youth, neither is he the respected, revered apostle of his later years, of a man of whom Peter himself said he is writing scripture, of Paul, as he is ministering to churches. He says, He is writing scripture. So last week we covered Barnabas' and Paul outreach. And the interesting thing here is that it was to Barnabas' home country. And I have to believe that they were starting off on familiar ground. That he would be speaking to people he grew up with, neighbors. not, Not just because it was comfortable, but because of their heart for the lost and these people who did not know the gospel the gospel but I tend to think because it was familiar ground they were not going out into a foreign country among people they didn't know today in our study in acts paul and barnabas leave cyprus for paul's home territory southern turkey today uh, asia minor as as they knew it then acts 13 verses 13 through 14a is our passage for today. Long passage of scripture here. A a verse and a half. And it reads, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, which was Cyprus, and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Sidia. You will remember that Paul and Barnabas left for the missionary journey from Antioch, but it was not this Antioch. Uh, Not too long ago, I did a sermon on the various Herods of Israel and said, you know, you basically need a scorecard to tell these guys apart. First of all, they were all called Herod something. Uh, Second of all, they were all evil. Uh, They were all doing wicked things, so, I mean, how can you tell them apart? Well, here's the thing. You you are going to need a scorecard to tell the Antiochs apart. There are 16 Antiochs in Asia Minor. The reason for this is that Seleucus Nicator, I love that name, Seleucus Nicator, was a successor of... Alexander the Great in the greater uh, Asia Minor area and when he conquered an area he started a city and he named the cities after his father Okay, his father's name was Antiochus and he was also a successor of Herod the, uh, Herod the Great, of Alexander the Great, there's too many greats in this story so there's 16 different Antiochs the Antio- so, we're going to only look at three today. I've got the right number of fingers up. We're only going to look at three today. Syrian Antioch is the one that they left. Now, the thing about Syrian Antioch is it's not in Syria, just to let you know. Uh, if you look at a map today, it's in southern Turkey. Back then, it was in the general area of Syria. They are going to Syrian Antioch. Interesting about Sidian Antioch is it is not in the province of Sidia. It is in the uh, province of uh, uh, Pamphylia. Uh, let me look this up again. Phrygia. It's in the province of Phrygia. So why is it called Sidian Antioch and not Phrygian Antioch? That's because a hundred miles away from them to the east is Phrygian Antioch. And So they called the other Antioch Sidian Antioch because it was near Antioch. Um, Other names for Sidian Antioch is Antioch near Sidia and Antioch facing Sidia. We'll go with Sidia Antioch just for this. So verse 13 says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Something has changed in this sentence, and you you know what it is. Can you see what it is now? Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos. When the group left Syrian Antioch, it was Barnabas and Paul set off. At the end of chapter twelve. After Herod Agrippa was eaten by worms, verse 25 in chapter 12 says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. Then in chapter 13, uh, we see Barnabas and Saul set off from Antioch, and now it's Paul and his companions. The ministry of Paul has eclipsed that of Barnabas in this short period of time, Barnabas has now become Paul's helper, the facilitator of Paul's ministry. And it's a testament, as one fellow said, to the greatness of uh, Barnabas' spirit, that it does not seem to have affected him in any way that he was now second fiddle. We can see this in many ministries in the world today, that People don't want to give up their position. They don't don't want to step down. They, They like being the center of attention. Barnabas, the son of encouragement as he was called, is truly the son of encouragement because it does not affect him that he is no longer the leader of the party, Barnabas and Paul. But instead, here, he's relegated to Paul and his companions. For John Mark, however, Barnabas's cousin, this change may have been too much, verse 13b, and says either rather matter-of-factly or tersely even, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Luke reports this very to the point. John Mark quits the missionary field. Scripture does not give the reason for this departure of John Mark. But commentators for 2,000 years have advanced many plausible possibilities of why he left. Some of these reasons are common to missionaries today the reasons that he may have left and we're surmising these things and I think we're supposed to surmise what might have moved John Mark to leave Paul and Barnabas Uh, homesickness could have been one of the reasons remember he's now left his home country John Mark was a Hebrew of the Hebrews he lived and grew up in Jerusalem his family was a wealthy ruling family of Jerusalem The Last Supper took place in his house, as I mentioned last week. The first Pentecost occurred in John Mark's house. John Mark was thoroughly a citizen of Israel, and yet he's moved to Barnabas' home country now. Barnabas was a cousin. Uh, Had he visited Cyprus before, he did not seem to have any hesitation to go to Cyprus. But when they move off to Asia Minor, John Mark leaves leaves the team. Possibly, he didn't like the unfamiliar people. Remember Jerusalem. In this study, one of the things that amazed me is that Jesus came from Galilee, and Galilee was the most the most Greek-speaking area of Israel. It had the most... I've never thought of Israel as having a great population of Gentiles. And yet the area of Galilee, north of Jerusalem, had a large population of Gentiles. Jesus grew up among them. John Mark was from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a Hebrew city. Uh, it was not a Hellenized city. There were not Greeks and Romans living among them, unless they were the soldiers keeping the peace and who were hated for that very reason. So, so unfamiliar people might have also been a reason why John Mark left. He might not have enjoyed the rigors of travel. Okay, that's a real, very real reason. For not enjoying the mission field, the journey from uh, Perga uh, from uh, Pathos to perga it doesn 't say here, but I looked it up. I, I looked it up on Google Maps. I wonder if they looked at Google Maps before they left i, I couldn 't find it in regular sources, but it 's a sailboat trip of about four hundred miles you 're talking about sailing from San Pedro Harbor to San Francisco Bay in technology from 2000 years ago we know from later on in acts that paul suffers a shipwreck on a journey not that much longer because they would put in at shores this was not an easy way to travel and then once they made landfall paul decided to leave perga and last week i had mentioned that uh, paul didn't preach in a city and some people think it was because it was low-lying and he had come down with malaria. Uh, Perga is that city that they think of it. It was on the seashore of Asia Minor, uh, Turkish coast, low-lying sea level, and Paul decided to leave Perga without preaching there for Sidian Antioch, which was on the other side or in the uh, Taurus Mountains, uh, at an elevation of 3,600 feet, think, a little bit higher than Valley of Enchantment, which I think is 4,000 feet. Good thing about that is you don't have fleas at that altitude. But Paul decides to take the direct route. As the crow flies, and the crows weren't flying when Paul left, as the crow flies, it was a 100-mile journey through mountains that had been infested with robbers and vexed everyone from Alexander the Great to Julius Caesar. They were not able to rid these mountains of robbers and they're still operating at at this time that Paul and the uh, missionaries are heading up to city in Antioch. You'll remember that when Paul is talking about what he has suffered for the gospel, robbers is among them. And as far as we know, this may be what he's referring to right here, because they were not gentle robbers. They weren't just taking your things. On on the problem that may have been specific to this missionary journey, however, Mark may have resented Paul replacing Barnabas, his cousin, as the leader and making the decisions of where they're going to go. But there is one more possibility yet. After the conversion of Sergius Paulus, Paul reconsidered his mission to the Jews first and began looking at directly approaching Gentiles. Sergius Paulus was not a God-fearing Gentile. He was not a proselyte to Judaism. On his own, he asked Paul to come and give him this new teaching about God. And on upon Sergius Paulus's uh, conversion, Paul's mindset changed towards the outreach to Gentiles. And remembering, of course that John Mark is a Hebrew Jew that may not have gone over very well with him. Richard Longnecker, who is a commentator, well regarded, and I enjoy him, thinks that John Mark was concerned with the validity of a direct approach to the Gentiles and therefore full acceptance of them. Uh, John Mark's departure was... He thinks because he disagreed with Paul and concerned about how this approach to the Gentiles, would, uh, what, what it would have on the church in Jerusalem and wanted no part of the coming controversy. And remember, there was a coming controversy. Some think that when uh, John Mark went back to Jerusalem that that was the beginning of the party of the Judaizers, who wanted Christians to have to become Jews first before they could become Christians. It's thought that John Mark's report of this journey had spurred on that movement um, into action against uh, into action against those such as the Apostle Peter, who were living as Gentiles. Remember that that was the accusation brought against. Brought against Peter by Paul when he returned to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, back in Perga, the missionary group did no outreach there. Perga was the largest city in the area with a diverse population, but no discernible Jewish presence. Did Paul forego preaching directly to the Gentiles of the city? Because remember, it's the only city in the area, 100 miles to the next city. Did he forego it because of this opposition to this approach by John Mark and his subsequent desertion? Scripture does not say that that was the case, but it does say that later on in his ministry, Paul returns to Perga and preaches on two different missions. So, not the first time, but two more after he had more dealings with the Gentiles, he did come back and preach in Perga. Verse 14a says that when John Mark left, they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Sidia. Paul and Barnabas had to take that 100-mile journey through the, uh, their apparently very craggy, winding, high cliff area on these passes, uh, not to mention the dangerous crossing of two turbulent, flood-prone rivers, the Cestus and the Eurymedion rivers. Sitting in Antioch, when they got there, is was the center of uh, the it was a civil and military uh, center of the region. It was, a, it was a Roman colony built on a Roman highway. And Paul would use this as something he would do from then on out. Think of the cities built on Roman highways like the California mission system. Okay? We have a one or two day walk between missions. This is how the Romans set up their highways their cities, both for defense and for comfort, that it would be not too long a walk between their, these Roman occupied, they were called colonies, Roman colonies along their highways. When they got to city in Antioch, which was, as Perga was, the leading city of the seacoast, the city in Antioch was the leading city of this central highland area. The, the missionaries found seven different social levels in city and Antioch. Synagogue officials. They found ordinary Jews. They found Gentile proselytes to Judaism. There were God-fearers, which is a step down from proselyte. They, they were not taking the orders, but they were God-fearers. They wanted to hear everything that the Jews had to say about God. Uh, There were devout women of high standing. And those always interest me because any number of them show up, the devout women. Uh, Lydia Priscilla was a devout woman of high standing at one time, I believe. Anyway, um, there were then the out-and-out Gentiles. And then there were the leading men of the city. And these were all different social groups to reach. The message Paul and Barnabas deliver would penetrate all levels of a uh, city in Antioch society. This mission would be the pattern for Paul's missionary journey on two fronts. On entering a city with uh, a synagogue at, in the city in Antioch, and we'll see this next week, he would go there first to teach. If his message was not received, or if he was not allowed to go to the synagogue at all, he would then directly approach the Gentiles. And the second, as I said, he would try to hit major Roman colonies on the highway. Because you have to remember, Romans set these up as trade routes. These highways stretched from Britain to India. Basically, you got to China on these highways. And the trade that came through had to be supported by townspeople for both the benefit of the traders and the merchants. So it was a, it was a crossroads, literally, not figuratively, of the world. All the world came through these Roman highways. And how better to, to fulfill the great commission of Jesus by not necessarily going into the world as Jesus said. So now I'm going to get it for that. Uh, Jesus said, go out into all the world. Well, Paul was letting all the world come to him on the Roman highways. Um, Closing question for today. In the missionary group of Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, who was in the wrong? Okay? Who was in the wrong? Luke is writing from a very Paul praising position. Okay? Luke likes Paul a lot. Was John Mark wrong for leaving the mission field? Because Luke doesn't say he was wrong. We get a little sense, but was he wrong for leaving the mission field? We know that this action later that year, still in the year 40 AD, the second missionary journey will be being put together. Barnabas wants John Mark to come back, so we're not talking a year, we're talking six months later, and Paul would have none of it. And Paul would have none of it to the extent that it broke up Paul and Barnabas as a missionary team. Barnabas went his own way, John Mark was off in Jerusalem, Saul and Barnabas parted ways over this. So this wasn't just a minor disagreement. This was something major. Was Paul's strident personality the reason that John Mark left? To Paul, was it Paul's way or the highway? And John Mark chose the highway? It might have been. I would prefer to believe, however... That in God's world, in God's work, that there was room for honest disagreement. My vision for ministry is not the same as yours, and yours is not the same for mine. As mine, am I wrong? Are you wrong? Or if we are in God's will, can we both not be right and disagree and move along in? one of the complaints that people have about Christianity is all the different churches and denominations there are. Why can't you all agree on one thing? Well, we're not supposed to agree on one thing. We really aren't. We're supposed to search the scriptures and figure out what we see and follow it the best we can. And as much as Here's the thing. If you all here thought that there was somebody else with a better set of teaching, of looking at scripture, of living out your life, you would go to that. We all go to that. And so we gravitate to what we see is, is, is the way that God is calling us to leave, live our lives. Um, if we are in God's will, can we both not be right Does everyone get along with everyone else all the time? Or do people gravitate to different people? There are those uh, who are closer to some people than others. In scripture, when speaking of John the Apostle, the words are sometimes used, the one who Jesus loved. And everybody knew who that was. Okay? It wasn't a secret John, in his gospel, even writes that he doesn't like to say, and I, John, was there. And instead, he will say, and the one who Jesus loved was reclining at table with him. And everybody knew that Jesus had someone in his life that he truly loved in a way more than the others. He was closer to this one person than he was to the others does that mean he did not love his disciples it does not mean that at all he loved all of his disciples but there was somebody that was closer to him no matter what happened between Paul and Mark it is not necessary to assign blame though not said in scripture that Mark had a problem with Paul it is surmised that he did And we do know from Scripture that Paul was upset with Mark and so upset that he vehemently opposed bringing Mark on that next journey. Did someone sin in this relationship? Or or are we allowed to disagree and not call it sin and not forever break with someone and label them as whatever. I'm reminded of an incident in the life of Jesus, John 9, 1 through 3 recounts, as he passed by, he saw Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Why did they have a quarrel? Why did they go on other ways? Could it not be so simply that the work of God be displayed in different avenues? That Paul goes this way, John Mark goes this way, Barnabas goes this way and multiplies the ministry three times, even if they had a grudge against each other. Paul himself wrote in Romans 8.28, and you all know it, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. This argument with John Mark and Barnabas and Paul all worked together for good. They were all Christians. There is no mention anywhere that they were not all good, upstanding Christian men. We have three men with a problem with each other in one way or another, and they're all good Christian men, and God uses these men to further His kingdom despite their differences. And the one thing, and the one way you can really tell that these were three guys with a difference. But still all godly men working in God's kingdom is 14 years later from his jail cell in Rome in 2 Timothy 4.11 Paul writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Do you think they were best friends? I don't. I don't. I still don't think they're best friends. But they're godly men working together despite their differences. And Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you. Just go get him. Bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. And that's how we all work together. We might not all be best friends. We might have differences through the years. But that doesn't mean that he sinned or he sinned. It's that we're human. And this side of heaven, we have differences. And we will always have differences. And the best thing somebody can say is, Get Mike, bring him along. We need him. I'd love to hear that. So, let's close in prayer.